This season, we're going to travel from Romans all the way to Revelation. I know it's a scary book, but it's okay. We're going to travel from Romans to Revelation while leaning into the spiritual practice of prayer. In season one, we have walked through the gospel, which is the biography of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It's Matthew, it's Mark, it's Luke, and it's John. It's the biography of Christ. And then we ended up in the book of Acts, which was the birth of Jesus's church. And then really from Romans to before we get, Revelation's a bit different, but from Romans to there, it is these letters written by the apostles to the church about what it is that we believe. And this is what we're going to steer into together. And so at the time when Romans was written, to determine where in the world you were, not meaning like in Rome, just what do I value? How do I live my life? How do I view the world in which I live? People often used things other than Jesus and the gospel to do so, very much like today. They used things like power or sexuality, status, even position and closeness to politics. And so in the same way, an incorrect direction will render you lost. Anything other than Jesus and the gospel will render you on the wrong path. As an example, if I get into any type of vehicle, no matter the class of the car, whether it's the top of the line or the bottom of the low, like low rung, it's just it's a junker. Like no matter what I get into, no matter the speed that I drive, if I get on the 417 and I begin to head east, I will never arrive in Toronto. Some of you are like, well, if you go the whole way around the world, yeah, there's, you get that, but there's things called oceans in the middle that are gonna make that a challenge. But I'll never arrive in Toronto. And so for Paul, as followers of Christ, if Jesus and the gospel is not everything in way in which you live in the road that you walk, it doesn't matter anything else. You're going the wrong direction. This is Paul. And so when it comes to God's gospel, here is what is true of every single human is that we are prone to wander. We are prone to becoming lost. We are, we are created in the image and the likeness of God. Humanity is created in the image and the likeness of God. But because we're created, that means that there is a creator. There is one that is higher than us. And because we are created, we are often prone to worshiping created things and not the creator. And Paul looks at a church in Rome that has plenty of issues, plenty of challenges within it, just like the church does today. And we're created in the image and likeness of God, but we are not created pure and perfect. Every single one of us has this thing in our lives, just like in the church of Rome, it's called sin. And sin changes the very nature of who we are, and what our lives look like. It is in each of our lives and it's a very present issue. And so every single one of us is not born pure then becomes bad. Every single one of us is born with a sin nature created in the image and likeness of God. But we exchange the truth about God as Paul would say for a lie. And when we do that, it creates this condition called sin. But not only do our hearts and lives have sin, as individuals, how many of you know that we share things in common, yet we are our fundamental, a lot of us are very different from one another. Like some of us are driven to be perfect. 
and others of you could care less. Some of you are driven and you get up every day and it doesn't matter what you accomplish, you, you have a driver that feels like you're not enough and others never feel that. Some of you every day fight to believe that you are loved by God and for others of you, you get up every day just trusting you are loved by God. And so in the mix is not only sin, it's, it's just our own stuff, our different personalities, our different wirings, the way in which we sin or the way in which sin affects us. And so this is in the mix. And then not only that is every single one of us is born into a family. And there is no such thing as a perfect family. Every single family is flawed because it's filled with humans. There are no perfect parents. And so some of our families, we learn really good things and other things that we learn that we need to unlearn as quick as we possibly can. But there are things in every single family. And then you extend the lens even a little bit further where it's now not only our family, but we are all of different ethnicities and every ethnicity has a way in which they view the world and the way in which they think the world should be and if we all just did it this way, it would be better and every ethnicity or every group or every country has their own worldview and the way in which we view the world or think the world is, hey, if we all did this, then this is progress and that gets into the mix of it. And so Paul shows up to a church in Rome that looks very much like this. And he begins to ponder the question because Paul shows up and wants to write a letter to a church in Rome that looks just like Paul. And the question now becomes, well, how do you, once it's all in the mix, how do you separate all of this? How do you now begin to tease and pull this apart? And for Paul, is it exclusively Jesus and the gospel. And so what I want to talk to you about, this one thing today. John Tyson, it's a little bit of a word salad, but most of us, when we hear the gospel, we think, oh, that's the day that I received the gospel, or I prayed a prayer and Jesus came into my heart. Or we hear the gospel portrayed as God loves you and has a plan for your life. And that's included within the gospel, but it's not actually very, that's not a very deep articulation of what it is. So a lot of Christians believe, well, the gospel is what I heard and then I received, but now I get on to deeper things. No, the gospel is what you always live in. Because the gospel is the good news that God our Father, out of his great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell. And then once we're rescued to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is God's great glory and it is our profound joy. The gospel is not shallow. It is ocean depth for every bit of who you are and everything that you need to do. You and I as followers of Christ, it's not like, well, I understand the gospel. Now I graduate to the bigger things like prophecy. No, 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 no. We root in Jesus and God's gospel and we allow it to do its work throughout all of our lives. So Paul sees a church in Rome that is very much like him. And as soon as you show up in church and you bring all of this and the person beside you brings all of that and then one family brings all of their stuff and then another family brings all of their stuff and then one ethnicity brings their stuff and another ethnicity brings their stuff and we are all the body of Christ but now how do we separate the stuff? How do we do it? 
So here's what Paul says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And I want you to hear how he begins the letter of Rome. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Not a servant of Rome, not a servant of religion, not a servant of the day. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one that he is following exclusively and singularly. This is the road that his feet are upon. Imperfect as he is, this is who his faith is in. He is called to be an apostle and he is set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. This is so beautiful, which he promised beforehand, Paul writes, through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was a descendant from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God and the power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is Paul saying with all of those words? I didn't drink moonshine, end up in a desert, and start a new religion. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not here to tell you a gospel that is a new story. It is the same story that in the beginning, the Bible is not a book about me and it's not a book about you. It is a book about the creator. It's a book about God in the beginning. God. And it's this God and his relationship with his creatures, his humans, this is what I'm talking about. It's not a new religion. It's a new covenant that I'm going to explain, as Paul is going to say, but it's not new. It's the same story that God has been at work. It's not something new. It's not Hinduism. It's not Buddhism. It's not Mormonism. You're not going to add on to it. It is the same singular story. This is what Paul is saying to the church in Rome. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among, he says, all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And then he says, to all those who were in Rome. Everybody just whisper to all. He's saying to the church, but to all of you, to all of you as individuals, to all of you as families, to all of you as ethnicities that were Jewish, one now it's Gentile. And the mixing of all of that together is which culture, which custom, what works. And it is a mess that it's in the soup. And Paul says, no, 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 it's not exclusively Gentiles. You're grafted in. Yes. But to all of you who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace, he says, Grace to you in peace, shalom from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ, and he is set apart exclusively for this thing called God's gospel. Now I want you to contrast how singular Paul is with the, the world of Rome and also our world in 2024. You see, we often see the world, you and I often see the world through lenses like good and bad, healthy and unhealthy, educated and uneducated, qualified or unqualified. To understand life or to make meaning of life, to make sense of life, we often think through these lenses. And here's what is absolutely true, is you can, in the mix of this, is our character. And you can have good character and you can have bad character. In some seasons of your life, you can choose to do the right things. In other seasons of your life, you can choose to do the right things and that is true of every human that's in the mix we can talk about healthy and unhealthy whether it's physically whether it's emotionally or whether it's relationally every single one of us have health in our lives and unhealth we have healthy ways that we think and we have unhealthy ways that we think we have healthy ways that we process our emotions and we have unhealthy ways that we have processed things we have healthy relationships and then there's unhealth there's dysfunction there's brokenness in relationships Every one of us have different levels of education. 
educated or uneducated. And that means that when it comes to our professions or what we do, there are some things that we qualify for and there are some things that we're unqualified to do. This is just all in the mix. It's what it was in Rome and it's what it is today. And so why do I say all these things? Because everything that I have just said, whether you're good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, educated or, or educated, qualified or unqualified, and the truth is we are a mix of all of it. Here's what is true. All of this affects your life and all of it needs to be dealt with and all of it needs to be looked at and understood. All of it matters, but none of it is relevant in regarding the gospel. None of it is relevant at all when it comes to one thing. There are only one of two people in this room. You are either in Christ or you are in yourself. That's it. You are in Christ or you are not in Christ. Only two things, and this is what the gospel begins to push in on. And so this week, as you begin to read the book of Romans, I want you to see a church that is like this. I want you to see a church that is full and trying to figure out how do we separate these things. And Paul says, I want to talk to you about this person named Jesus, and I want to talk to you about his gospel. And this is exclusively all I want to tell you about. And it is ocean depth, and it changes everything if you get it. While reading Romans this week, you're going to arrive in chapter 8. But before you get to chapter 8, three times, you're going to see the same word three times. And the word that you're going to see is the word condemnation. Everyone say condemnation. condemnation. By the time you get to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and you're reading this week, he, Paul is going to write to the church in Rome. There is, therefore, after he has said a lot of things, there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. And then you may stop and go, well, time out. There's health in us, health, there's sin, there's brokenness, there's all of these things. But he says, no, 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 no. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment, no condemning sentence, no fine, no damage, nothing that they can do to pay the penalty of particularly their sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not to be confused with this. It is not to be confused with, there is no condemnation is not to be confused with, they are not guilty. That's not what Paul is saying. No, no, no. He's not denying all this stuff. But because we are guilty, and here's one thing every human does not like. Number one, we don't like being guilty. Second of all, we hate even more getting caught. We hate it. And we will justify, and we will rationalize, and we will blame. Hey, come on, much of 2023 and 24 is just people like this pointing to other people that look darker or worse or better to make themselves feel better about who they are. It's called works-based religion. And it's everywhere. You want to know why canceling people is from the pit of hell? Because it's the antithesis of how Jesus lived. He was willing to risk his reputation for people. And what is cancel culture really? It's just the spirit of the Pharisee. It's all it is. It's all it is. Read the book of the, read the scriptures and you see it everywhere. Jesus came up to people like this and he risked everything to be associated with them knowing that he needed to deal with this. 
Because we're guilty though, we often mistake in following Jesus, like, I have to be better than this. I have to try to, to do, I have to try to be a better person. I have to s- stop doing these things. I got to start doing these things and I have to be a good Christian and I don't want to be a bad Christian and I, I want to be a healthy person and a not unhealthy person and I, I want to be qualified so I want to study. I don't want to be unqualified so I study and I, and I, and I want to be educated and, and I want to be, and all of that is good and all of that is relevant and all that is important and all of that has a bearing on life but none of it changes whether or not you're in Christ. And being guilty, we often mistakenly, in following Jesus, try to do what we do everywhere in life, which is, again, usually this works-based effort where we strive to earn or become good enough in Christ. But this is the very error that Paul is saying to the church in Rome, this is why Christ has come to set you free. Because... You can get healthy and more healthy. You can be better than bad. You can get educated or not educated. You can do all those things, but there is this one condition that is under and in all of those things that there is nothing that you can do, and that is sin. There's nothing you can do to get it out of there on your own. And to see how the gospel is different, we have to understand three words. And they are theological words, but they are not hard words. They are atonement, justification, and sanctification. And if you get it today, you will get Romans. And if you don't get it, then you will arrive at a point one day where you will say this, I can't do Christianity. And in that moment, you will either give up or you will embrace the gospel, which Christianity is not what you do. It is what Christ did for you. And then what Christ did for you, you begin to walk in. But you won't. And so now we use words like atonement and justification and sanctification. Please understand that we're using multiple words to describe a simultaneous transformation. It's just how we explain it. It's like when you meet someone and fall in love. It's, I, I fell in love. Like there's a million things, like your dopamine shot off, your emo- we, just, we just have these inferior words that try to describe what it is and how it is that God works. And so what is atonement? Atonement is just a word in English that says at one moment. That's all atonement is. It's, it's at one moment. Beth Elker Jones says atonement or at one moment was coined in English to describe how Christ's work bridges the separation between humans and gods and opens up the possibility that we may again be reconciled or made one with God. And so for some of you, you prayed a prayer one day. For others of you, you may have never prayed a sinner's prayer, but somewhere along the way, you no longer followed what you once followed and you started to follow Jesus. And somewhere along the way, and some of you can point to a spiritual born again birthday and others of you, you're like, I don't know specifically where it happened, but all I know is that I'm no longer who I am. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Something changed in my life. However God does it to Jesus be the glory. But atonement has this double movement where Jesus comes to us, we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which we've read, and we just celebrated in Christmas together, that Jesus comes to us, but he also doesn't just come to us, he wants to bring us and reconcile us to the Father. And so justification is this, this is you, I want you to pretend this is Christ. 
It takes a sanctified imagination. This is not the best example. It's not a perfect theological example, but give me a little bit of sanctified grace today, okay? So let's pretend that this is Christ. Atonement is a moment in time. So justification is God's work in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. Forgiving our sins and making us right with God. So in Christ, the penalty of sin is removed from our lives. So in a very specific moment, everything that is sinful and unhealthy and broken and everything in you, it it all gets in Christ. Jesus bears the full weight and penalty for what all of this deserves. So now when the father sees us, he's not ignorant of the stuff, but he sees us in Christ. We are no longer in ourselves trying to prove ourselves to God, to clean ourselves up, to make ourselves better. We're not doing that anymore because we are now in Christ. And when you are in Christ, the penalty is paid in full. You can't add to it. You can't make it better. Your education doesn't help. Your position doesn't help. Your bank account doesn't help. None of it helps. It all is relevant in the soup of life. Friends let friends clean up in church. (laughs) Praise God, that's not a carpet anymore. But friends, like beloved loved ones in Christ, this is how God sees you. This is called justification. I want you to think about the thief on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified with two others. Christ in the center, one on his left, one on his right. Okay? Both of them hurl accusations against Jesus, the Bible and the story says. But somewhere along the way, there is a moment of atonement. There is at one moment where one of the thieves, one of the criminals, I should say, is guilty He turns to Jesus while the other one is railing, which, by the way, is a picture of humanity. While one is railing, another turns and says to him, you want to hear the depth of his prayer? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. What is that the language of? I recognize you as a king. I recognize you're different. Would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus doesn't respond to him, "Uh uh-uh, you're one of the bad ones. You're one of the broken ones. You're one of the ones who, no, no, he doesn't. He says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And there's a beautiful pastor by the name of Alistair Begg, and he articulates it so brilliantly, which is that when the, the, when the criminal on the cross, following the atonement moment with Christ, in a moment, a criminal who is guilty in themselves says, I put my faith, my trust, my hope in you. Would you remember me? That in that moment, when that criminal closes his eyes, which is really beautiful, by the way, because I am sure nobody who knew them, knew this criminal, knew that anything had changed in his heart and life. Oh, while there's last breath in someone's body, there's hope, and you never know what is going on in the heart. Loved ones, careful with what you judge, because you never know where God is at work. 
And this criminal dies and he knows nothing. Maybe he knows Jewish history, but he knows very little of God. He's had no attempts at reconciliation. He hasn't made amends for what he has done. He is a sinner. He is guilty. And he shows up. And the question is, why should you be granted access to paradise? And Alistair Begg says so brilliantly that the he basically the criminal says, all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. And all heaven opens and welcomes him home. Justification. What a beautiful, glorious story of the gospel. But don't just look at the thief on the cross because he's not the hero of the story. It's the one who extends the grace that we need to look at. Here's why. And here's why this is so important. Because there are too many of you who are in Christ, but that's where you stop following Christ. I prayed a prayer and I'm a Christian. Yeah, but what about all this? Does this matter? And here's what's confusing in all of our churches. When people look to see Jesus, they see all of this too. And one of the issues in 2024 is we have too many followers of Jesus who committed their lives to Jesus, but never committed their following to Jesus. And that's an issue, that's a problem. There's nothing wrong in the church that cannot be solved by each of us becoming more ardent in following Christ. And this isn't the end of the story. This, let me say it this way. This changes your eternal destination. But remember, the quote that I read from John Tyson is not just that we are saved from sin, death, hell, in the grave. It is not just that our address changes from earth to eternity with Christ. God's heart and his purpose is that we would see on earth as it is in heaven. So some followers of Jesus have enough to be with Christ in heaven, but they don't follow enough to see heaven on earth. And that's why we don't look at the thief, in the, on the thief or the criminal on the cross as the example and the epitome of what it means to follow Jesus. We look to Christ. Because everywhere he went on earth, heaven followed. And is that not your heart and mine? And so yes, Jesus bore the penalty. And you are either in you or you are either in Christ. But being in Christ now, there is more. Everyone say there is more. The gospel is not, the gospel is forever opposed to your earning. You can't earn it. But it is not opposed to your effort. Christ did. Now you do. Not I do to get what Christ did. Christ did. Now you let the same Christ, who that you're in, work in you. And this, J.T. English says, the gospel is not just what Jesus came to do, but it's who Jesus is. Christianity enters around not only what Jesus accomplished, which is our salvation, but the one who accomplished it, which is the Son of God incarnate. He's embodied in the flesh. God is exactly like Jesus, not a little bit. God is exactly like Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is entirely God, fully human, yet without sin. 
and he lived a perfectly obedient life and he died a substitutionary death, which really just means that instead of getting what we deserve, we get grace, we get what we don't deserve. But Jesus had to get what he didn't deserve to purchase our redemption and our freedom. What we receive freely cost Jesus everything. There's no such thing as cheap grace. It cost Christ everything. He was buried in a tomb and he rose victorious over sin and shame and he ascended to the heaven to reign as king. And throughout history, Jesus has accomplished each of these aspects exclusively plus nobody. It's why the central heart of Paul's letter to the Romans, why, it's why he writes this in Romans 8 verses 3 to 4 and then 14 to 15 and then verse 31. I'm going to jump around here a bit. For God has done, everyone say God has done. In Christ. Not you did, not religion did, not Judaism did, not the law did. All of it matters, all of it relevant, all of it in part of the story, not diminishing, dismissing any of it. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What is the only thing the law can do? The law can come down and it can render you guilty or it can render you innocent. What the law cannot do is change. It cannot atone. It cannot, the law, if, if you've had something, if somebody steals your vehicle, then they can render them guilty or it can render them innocent. But if they steal your vehicle and trash it, it ain't coming back. Not so with Jesus. He does not only render us guilty or innocent. He can renew. He can redeem. He can resurrect. With God, all things, loved ones, are possible. So Paul is saying, for God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin. This is what Jesus did. In Christ, there's no condemnation because Christ condemned sin in the flesh in order that righteous requirement of the law must be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit who what who walk not according to the flesh what is all of this stuff in here flesh we are in Christ but now we're not to walk according to this but according to the spirit of God for all who were led by the Spirit are sons. Inheritance is the language here of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. What is Paul saying to the church in Romans? You can't work your way out of this. You can't educate yourself out of this. You can't do it. You can't. All of that is religious slavery. You're enslaved to it. How good enough do I have to be? How did it? How did it? Just keep going and going and going. He's just saying, no, no, no. That's the theological term for what it is to mean. That's how you do it. <laughs> for we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Why would you fall back into fear? It is a beautiful thing to surrender to God, even to be a son or a daughter of God or to be a slave of God, because you have one who will never misuse you, mistreat you or abuse you. But there is nobody else in the history of humanity about which could be said the same. And so Paul is saying to the church, you have no, f you got a lot of mess, but you don't have to be in fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So in Christ there is atonement. The penalty of sin is paid in full, but again, what about this mess? I need to roll up my sleeves. Because sanctification is the next part. It's the simultaneous process, but sanctification is God's ongoing work of making you and I not just in Christ, but more like Christ. And each step 
remains a gift of God's outpouring of grace. So in Christ, justification is the penalty of sin is canceled. You are no longer in yourself. You are bought with a price. Jesus paid the price and he paid it in full. And so the justification is again, the penalty of sin is no longer yours to bear. Christ bared it alone and you are in Christ. But now what about the mess? And that is sanctification. And that is not just where the penalty of sin is broken, but it's the power that all of this holds on our lives. The power that all of this that we are under, it also has to come under King Jesus. It has to come under the Lordship of Jesus because it affects everything in our hearts and lives. And so in Christ, the power of sin is broken. Wounds are healed. Our minds are renewed day by day. In Christ, you are forgiven. You are saved. You are justified. You are reconciled. And where you let the Holy Spirit work, you will experience being loved and adopted and cleansed and healed and redeemed and rescued and triumphant. Strongholds will break. Sins of the flesh will break. Cultural things will break. Family dysfunction can break. All of it if you let God move. And so here the question once again becomes, well, what is sanctification? Is it me working all of this out? No. Why do we confess? Why do we repent? Why do we pray? Why do we practice spiritual disciplines? Why do we fast? Why do we tithe? Why do we give? Why do we walk in the way that Jesus walked? Because every time that we do this, it's not earning, but it is following under King Jesus. And every single time we do and allow God to work in our hearts and lives, that which is in us and we posture ourselves under the pouring out of the Holy Spirit who doesn't want to fill us once but he wants to consistently infill us the more of God that begins to get in us the less of this stuff has power the less of this stuff has control and the more and more people can look I mean there's still a problem in there but by the way it's also not linear because sometimes we're prone to wander and so we once again we we sin even in Christ, we sin. How many of you gave your lives to Jesus and still find yourself sinning from time to time? Don't double up the problem. Allow God to continue to pour. Some of you have gone through a season where you've been wounded. You just need God to begin to pour healing, to heal that wound. It's a mess, by the way, as God works. Honestly, it is a mess. There was a pastor in the 1800s who wanted to teach his church what sanctification is all about. And he wrote a song, and I think you know it. I'm going to start it. And all of our campuses, if you know it, I want you to sing. I want you to listen to what you sing that you know by heart. I'll start, you come in. What can wash away?
What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Why? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we determine where we are in the world and where we're going as followers of Jesus? The world needs to see a church that looks more like this at the end of 24. And not a church that consistently looks like this. As followers of Jesus, we are either in Christ or we're not. There's no third way. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In you, full condemnation. You're guilty and you need rescue. Which is why prior to receiving communion, which we are going to do after the song, the Bible says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, what's an unworthy manner? Trying to earn what Christ alone can do. We will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then so and so eat the bread and drink the cup. So while we sing, why don't you invite the Holy Spirit to examine whether or not you're in Christ? That's eternal significance. But then seeing heaven on earth, whether or not you're going to let Christ continue to work in your heart and life this year.